What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. We are live today from the American Express PGA Tour event in La Quinta, California. We'll be joined by the chairman and CEO of Amex, Stephen Squarey, in an exclusive in just a little bit. I also have investment committee member Surat Sethi here with me today. He's playing in the Pro-Am. He sits on the board of the charity benefiting from this great event. Back home, Stephanie Link. Joe Terranova, Shannon Sakosha also ready to talk the markets and the S&P trading above its all-time closing high earlier today. That's where we start, too, because we do have some big news today. Stephanie Link selling <laughs> Meta. Amazing. Tell us. Well, it's been a great run. It's up 185% in the past year. The stock has re-rated appropriately from 13 times a year and a half ago to 22 times. Uh, it was at seven times EBITDA, Scott, and it's now at 14 times EBITDA. So I think that um, a lot of good news is priced in. Uh, they've done a great job in, in, in turning around their revenue story. They went from single digit revenues to double digit. We know about the year of the efficiency. So I just kind of feel like I made a lot of money. I bought it when everyone wanted to sell it. And now everyone loves it. In fact, 90% of the sell-side analysts have buys on it now versus 50% two years ago. So I think it's time to take my, my gains and, and, and move it elsewhere. You know, I'm just wondering, what if it's just getting started? You know, um, it's been, as you said, they, they've gone through this period of time where the worst performance ever for the stock in 2022 the best performance ever for the stock in 2023, the efficiency, as, as you mentioned, from a forward P.E. standpoint, it's cheaper than its historical average, 21.3 versus 26.2. So it's not, you know, incredibly expensive, relatively speaking. And a lot of money, Steph, has been going back towards the big caps. Yeah. And so what I did was I didn't want to be completely away from the Fab 7, Fang, or any of the high growth companies. Um, I put the money into more money into Amazon. And, you know, I bought that late last year when we saw a pullback. Uh, that stock actually is trading at 40 times forward estimates now, which is not cheap, but its historical average is 118 times. It trades at 13 times EBITDA. Its historical average is at 18 times. I'm fully aware that people are expecting the quarter to be really good, but it's going to be really good. And so I have a little room if it were to pull back just on a sentiment shift. I, don't, uh, I, will, I will buy more, and that's actually is my intention. Because I think there are three ways that you can win with Amazon. One is AWS accelerates, and I think it will, based on the, the signings that they talked about last quarter. So you're going to go something like 12%. You, I think you can, in the second half of the year, see 15 16% growth in AWS. We know that's one of the main drivers. 
The impressive part of the other, uh, the, the, the second prong is the operating margin expansion that we're seeing in the retail, North America retail. Just in the first quarter of last year, that, that operating margin was 1.9 percent. The last quarter it was 4.9 percent. And I think, and that's by the way, pre-COVID it was over five. So I think they can get to five or six, maybe even higher mm -hmm. than that. And then finally, the ad revenue piece from Prime Video, I think that's a $3 billion opportunity. So I just, I don't want to completely um, go away from, from Fang, uh, but I made a lot of money in Meta. And, uh, and Amazon had a nice year last year. It was up 61%. But I do think that there's more room left there. And so I wanted to put more money in there. And as a result, yeah, I took my gains in Meta. Okay. Okay. Uh, so let's kick it around. Um, because as you know, you know uh, Surat, who's sitting next to me, out here uh, just off the golf course, the stadium course, uh, which he's going to be playing in, in just a little bit. You own Meta as well. I do. So what do you what do you make of this move? Um, I've trimmed it, but I still want to own it. I think it's the high-quality player. They've really focused, refocused. Uh, you know, we just saw he announced he's going to buy more NVIDIA chips. They're growing. They're Mark growing. Zuckerberg, the, Mark, you're Mark, talking the, about. the CEO. They're growing for the right reasons. And, and, and when you look at kind of where they are compared to the other Mag7, they don't have that monopoly issue that all the others do. You get advertising income this year. You've got election year. I think you've got some tailwinds, and I want to ride it some more. I definitely agree with taking money off the table because the stock's done everything we wanted to. But I do think it might be just the beginning of another run. And then kind of I, I'm happy to take more off the table. But I like the fundamentals here, and I don't want to sell it when the fundamentals are so That's strong. That's what we were just alluding to, whether you know this is because the transition that the company has made to get leaner and, and, and some would suggest right. the year of stronger. efficiency, right. Um, so, Joe, you own it as well. What's your assessment here? I love everything that Stephanie said about Amazon. Uh, I agree with the ability for Amazon in 2024 to have some mean reversion relative to the other mega cap companies. Uh, but excluding Tesla, which is the one name that I do not own, um, selling any of the mega caps in the month of January is something I really don't ever want to do again. Um, it's just when you look at the composition of the market right now and the performance of the market right now, I've been talking about it the entire month. It's now building in momentum. It is all about technology, communication services, mega caps, and NVIDIA and AMD. And just look where N NVIDIA is, look where AMD is, and that will tell you where the market is going to go. So I'm just not going to move away from any of those mega caps right now. The concentration of 2023, it's here in 2024 once again. Great point. And Shannon, you know, the NASDAQ is outperforming today. It had such a, a monster day yesterday in some respects since the beginning of the year relative to the Russell 2000, where most were figuring, hey, there's going to be this broadening out. What we saw from the end of October to the end of December was only going to carry through, if not add even further. And we just haven't really seen it. That goes to what Joe's talking about, about the composition of the market. Surprise some that you've had money moving back into the mega cap. So what do you want to do here? I think the challenge here is that it's it's not just the the these mega cap tech stocks losing their leadership, Scott. It's somebody else taking on that mantle, taking that torch away from them. And I think that this earnings season, through a combination of both results as well as guidance, is really going to be the you know the potential catalyst for that. Or not. Uh, you know, if you look at earnings estimates, they've come way down since October. You know, and they've actually come way down from 4.7 percent to 4.4 percent 
just in January. And so that to me isn't, th those estimates coming down aren't on these names that Joe just mentioned. They're on the rest of the market. I mean, you look at energy, continues to be in an, you know, an earnings uh, decline. We're continuing to see struggles there in a sector that didn't participate at all last year. So where's, where's the rotation catalyst to go into that sector? You look at healthcare and staples, they're, they've performed okay this year. I mean, and they're positive, but that could be really just a kind of a defensive barbell for investors who are looking for maybe some of that rotation to be on the tip of that, but also potentially going into healthcare because it just was so dire last year from a performance perspective. I think the importance here is that you really have to look at, is there going to be enough news where you're going to see earnings be boosted by continued margin recapture. Last year was a year of margin resilience. This year needs to be margin recapture. We know top line growth is gonna come down because inflation's coming down. What sector, what industry can wrest away the leadership from technology given the fact that they are expected to continue to have cost cutting opportunities and to their, you know, to the point where they do have some relative pricing power. I think it's a really challenging setup even though I do believe that we will broaden out, I think these next couple weeks are really critical. Let's just take a moment to acknowledge what's on the right-hand side of your screen as well. 4808 uh, is where the uh, S&P just was. Let's show it again. A 4803, excuse me. It is above an all-time closing high as we speak. The all-time intraday high about 15 points or so higher. So we're going to be on that watch. And in many respects, this burst over the last couple of days has been taken by the mega caps. So, Steph, I bring it back to you for the last word before we move on, because that's the beauty of, of what you guys do. Present an idea, present a trade, the investment committee kicks it around. Sounds to me like no one's going to hate on the fact of taking profits, but I feel like there's some disagreement on getting out completely of something like Meta right now. Yeah, well, look, I mean, it's all about your, your risk tolerance and risk reward. And it, this stock has had an enormous run. Uh, I'm not saying to, to sell all of technology. In fact, I view Amazon as technology, and I'm making that a much bigger bet. So I just have more conviction. I think there's better risk reward there. I think that um, in terms of technology as a whole, it's a place you want to be but I don't want 35% of my portfolio to be so concentrated. So I'm at about 20, 22% right now in technology, and I feel comfortable with that. But I am making the bets that I have, and there are a few of them in, in the technology sector and comm services that I'm making so much bigger, right? So that's what I'm doing there. But I do think that we're only 10% into earnings. Earnings have been good, okay, so far, 9% are beating. We get a whole slew of other companies that are about to report. And with the economy doing better than expected, and this is the whole reason why tech and the concentration has come back, because the economy and the data has been coming out that's been much stronger than expected. And anybody that was thinking six cuts, now talking about three cuts, I was out on the road this past week. There are some people that were thinking zero cuts. And so that's why you've had this concentration back. But I believe the economy is staying strong throughout the, it will stay strong throughout the year. Inflation is coming down. Margins are going to be stronger than expected. Earnings are going to be good in a variety of sectors. I'll give you housing. I'll give you consumer mm -hmm. discretionary in infrastructure and even in financials, especially as capital markets recovers. So there are other places I want to put my money. It's interesting, Sarad. B of A's Michael Hartnett today in a note entitled, uh, the Price is Right talks about this range uh, of the, uh, the, the title is uh, The Price is Right. This 10-year range of three and three quarters percent to four and a quarter on the 10-year, 
says you've had the biggest two-week inflow into tech since August, that as long as you have that range of the yield, you're going to have what he terms a buyer strike in banks, in REITs, in small caps, in leverage. In other words, as long as you remain within that range, you're going to continue to have money flowing to this area. Not to mention, Apple gets a huge upgrade yesterday. That stock absolutely surged. Taiwan Semi, you could argue, was you know the under-the-surface move, which really got tech going yesterday. Mm -hmm. Apple turbocharged it. So what about this idea of this buyer strike in other areas of the market? Yeah, and I think it makes sense because what TSMC did yesterday also lifted all the semiconductors. So it wasn't just NVIDIA. You saw Qualcomm. You saw all the others, and you had money move into there. And, and you're absolutely right, because when the rates go below 4%, buyers come into financials, they come into utilities, they come into real estate. So at that point, what we're going to see there is if those companies can still perform, you're going to see margin, you're going to see compression on, on multiples. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there if those companies kind of, they, they can actually act on their earnings and, and get them. But at the same time, I think valuations might get a little extended. And to what Stephanie's point, we're all going to be looking at tech to say as fiduciaries managing money, if they start getting, again, too big, you've got to kind of reallocate again. We go back to the conversation, Joe, about why rates are going up. If they're going up for the right reasons, the stock market seemingly can get its arms around uh, all of that. You've had, you know, good economic data. Today you had consumer sentiment, which was the highest since July of 2021. It gives you an idea of what the consumer is feeling, what the, the economy is doing. And you do have talk, whether it's Bostic yesterday, he was pretty dovish yesterday. Goolsby today talked about a golden path on inflation and employment on Squawk Box this morning with, with the gang there. Joe? Scott, I mean, the way that you've described it, the way that Stephanie Surratt and Shannon are speaking about the economy, it's, it's very clear the economy is in a much stronger position than many people, myself included, expected. And all you really need to do is look at the one industry that really is the economy, and that's the semiconductor industry. Semiconductors chips are what oil used to be in the 70s, and semiconductors are absolutely on fire right now, and that's telling you the economy is good. So I step back for a second, and I don't know, Scott, I can't remember a time in my years in the business where collectively the financial services industry was on the, on the cusp of getting a, a rate cut and everyone basically saying, no, we don't, we don't need it. We don't want it. We don't want the rate cut. Everything's fine. Just don't raise rates any further. And I think that's the place that the market is in right now. And it, it seems to me over the last several days, the market's pretty comfortable if yields are going to rise from 4% to 4.25%. But there's going to be areas of the market that are not going to be able to get their footing. And we've already described what those are. And those areas of the markets are the non-qualitative, longer-duration areas of the market. I do, I do feel like the, the market does want rate cuts. Maybe it doesn't need the six or the seven that it once thought it might. On the note about what chips are going to do, Raymond James, Steph, today on the semi says AI is going to extend the play. So what do they do? NVIDIA, target goes to 700 from 600. AMD to 190 from 140. AMAT, LAM Research, which you've got Intel, Micro, uh, Micron, Marvell, KLA, all also raised there. It takes me to another move. Uh, you bought more Broadcom. I did. Um, I, I made it a really big position. So LAM is still the biggest one, and actually it's in the top five of my holdings. 
and Broadcom is now close to like number six. Um, I think they're going to see, definitely they're going to benefit from AI. I don't think it gets a lot of the credit trading at 25 times forward estimates, but they're going to see double digit total revenues in their AI business, in their networking area, in their um, custom compute business. Also, the cyclicality part of their business, the semiconductor business, should see a recovery, especially because they're tied more towards enterprise. I think we are going to see an uplift in enterprise throughout 2024. And then, of course, the VMware synergies. I mean, the margin expansion from VMware could be something like 3,100 basis points over the next two years. That is huge. You know I'm a big margin person. You do that, plus double-digit revenues, you've got huge operating leverage. And so I think that 25 times multiple that it's trading at today probably more look, looks more like 2021 times. Shan, do you just, do you just ride the semis here, right? Do, do, you, do you believe that Raymond James, what they say, that AI is just a game changer and it's going to extend a whole, a whole lot of things, the, the semis included, regardless of the incredible appreciation in price, regardless of the expansion of multiples? Well, we're really looking at, you know, if you think about AI adoption and enablement in terms of the broader uh, economy, Scott, you're really just very early on in this. And so I think if you kind of look at whether it's you know moving from a focus on those that are enabling AI to those that are adopting and are incorporating that into their business, we're very early on in this. And I think that the benefit of kind of uh, being on the front end of this is that there are going to be fits and starts in terms of companies that are adopting AI in terms of being able to actually yield productivity and efficiency improvements of it, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to be buying it. And, you know, if you look at capital um, budgets for this year, you know, it's estimated that a third of those budgets are going to AI efforts. And so when you think about comparing that to what's happening with cloud, opt cloud optimization, for instance, where we've seen a little bit of a stall out, there is this tailwind. The other thing, though, is Joe made a really good point. This is not just AI. This is an expectation or a shifting expectation of economic growth. And from a cyclical perspective, that's where I see potentially the broadening out. It's not just AI. It's what does stronger than anticipated economic growth, particularly in the second half, what does that yield? And where is there going to be some stimulative effect from things like manufacturing, which could actually be bottoming out and improving? So I think it's not just AI, Scott. I really think it's where are the cyclical parts of the market that haven't participated? Semis obviously have, but there's ways to pair that along with things that maybe haven't participated as well. Wrap this chips part of this conversation up, uh, especially Nvidia. Right, talked about the price target bump, 700 from six. I mean, the stock's been just elevating almost unabated. You've got these reports yesterday that suggest, you know, uh, Meta is spending billions of dollars on on Nvidia chips. Like, get in line. Who isn't at this point? And it's become for Nvidia the the demand is so much stronger than it can supply. But we always know about semiconductors, right? At some point when that turns, all of a sudden you have this huge glut. But the AI, the the, the amount of I think intellectual property going into these semiconductor chips that we're talking about, specifically whether it's NVIDIA, Broadcom, Qualcomm, you, that's what you're paying for. You're not paying for commodity chips. They might go along with the ride, but it's the high value, high margin chips. And I think that still has a lot of tailwind behind it. All right, we are going to take our first break. Don't go anywhere because up next, American Express Chairman and CEO Stephen Squarey joins me live here at the American Express PGA Tour event in La Quinta, California, the beautiful 17th green of the state course behind us. We are back in just two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Quite a scene out here. We are live today from the American Express PGA Tour event in La Quinta, California. The stunning 17th green of the Pete Dye Design Stadium course just over our shoulder here. A beautiful setting for one of the most storied tournaments on tour. Our host out here, Stephen Squarey, he is the chairman and CEO of Amex. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being out here and uh, escaping the cold to join us out here in the it's desert. It's nice to get out of the ice box and have all of this, of course, behind us. Such rich history out here. What has this tournament meant for your company? So, look, this is the 65th year of this tournament. We took it over about five years ago. And I think what's really interesting about this tournament is it, it does so many different things. It brings... Uh, professional golfers together, we have a tremendous field. We have almost 25 of the top 50 golfers in, in the world here today. Brings a number of business executives here. We like to call it our, our Davos in the desert. Um, and But we're doing things for the community as well. Uh, you know, uh, Monday we had the first tee out here. They got a behind-the-scenes tour for two hours. They got to see Justin Thomas tee off on 17. We had a women's leadership conference. Uh, on Tuesday for local uh, business uh, businesswomen. Uh, we did a community day, uh, and we do so much for small businesses. We have a fan zone. We have many small businesses. And then we combine music. We have Keith Urban tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Train tomorrow night. And it gives our card members an opportunity to come in and have just a great golf experience and a great music experience. You mentioned the field, Scheffler, Fowler, Finau, Thomas, Day, Cantlay. So you have some great players uh, out here. And Part of the profits uh, of this tournament goes towards a charity, Impact for Golf. Tell yeah. us about it. So, um, you know, one of the things that the PGA Tour has always been has been a real charitable organization. And for us, you know, giving back to the community has always been so important. And, you know, this tournament over the years has d- donated over $65 million uh, and will do over another million dollars this year to the local charities. And, and the, the key point is, all the money stays in the community, and um, it does make a difference. Impact through golf, the, the name there. Why do sports work so well for Amex? Uh, it's U.S. Open tennis. It's a new relationship with F1, uh, a reasonably new relationship, as you said, with this tournament. Yeah, it's um, our customers love, love sports. Uh, you know, whether it's golf, whether it's tennis, Millennials and Gen Zs love Formula One, uh, so we're involved in Formula One, and, and we're also involved in music. And we, we try and get involved with sponsorships 
where our card members can have an experience, an experience like no other. Uh, so it's just not about putting our name on an event. It's about creating an experience with that property. As a title sponsor of this event, uh, obviously the future of the PGA Tour is uh, essential to, to what you're doing. Um, the negotiations are ongoing with the strategic sports group. How closely are you watching it? What are you thinking about in terms of the business of the tour moving forward? Yeah, well, I, I leave the business of the tour to the business of the tour. We're a, you know, we're a partner uh, of the tour. I think uh, they're, in, they're in really good hands. They're working with the players and they're working with you know, their board of governors. But for us, um, you know, this event, it's not an elevated event. Um, and we're never going to make it an elevated event because we want to have as big a field as possible. We get 156 golfers. We get 156 amateurs. Um, and I think the tour is going to figure it all out. Um, they, always, they always do. And um, we're just really happy with what we have in the product that we're putting out there right now. Was there a moment when this first broke where you thought, hmm, I wonder where our investment in this entity is, is going to go? No, because the PGA Tour is never going away. Um, and um, I, we never gave it a second thought. In fact, uh, you know, we're committed to this tournament all the way through 2028, and uh, we intend to be here and continue to invest and make it better. You talked about giving your customers an elevated experience. Let's talk about your customers a little bit. Uh, worth noting as well, your earnings are a week from today, so you're right. in a quiet period, and we'll obviously respect that. But broadly speaking, what do you see? So, look, we, uh, we saw through the third quarter. Um, you know, we saw some good spending in the holidays. We talked about good consumer spending all the way from, you know, Thanksgiving into Cyber Monday. We just did release some credit statistics uh, through an 8K a few days ago. You know, our delinquency rates and our and our uh, write-off rates are lower than they were in in, in 2019. Still, um, look, you had a good job. You had a good jobs report. We had wage increase in December. Uh, interest rates are uh, leveling off and inflation seems to be getting under control. So, you know, the reality is um, our business is, is very different. Our customers are high spending premium customers um, and they're continuing to spend. Are you surprised at the resiliency? Even today, consumer confidence number was the strongest in more than two years. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm certainly not with, with our customer base. But, I mean, look, we've been, people have been calling for a recession for the last two to three years and it hasn't happened. And so, uh, we continue to do what we do, which is take care of our customers, engage with our customers, and create great value propositions. And look, if things seem to turn, we're ready to turn on a dime and, and make the moves that we need to make to protect, uh, to protect our customers, protect our company. People have talked about this being Davos uh, in the desert. Well, at the other Davos, you've had some interesting commentary, of course, over the last several days. Jamie Dimon saying, hey, people maybe think it's a little too hunky-dory. David Solomon, Goldman Sachs saying well, maybe the market's ahead of itself in terms of the view of rate cuts. How do you assess that? Yeah, I, you know, uh, again, from my perspective, we have... Um, I can only look at what my card members are, are doing. Uh, we're in a very different business than sort of Jamie and, and, and David, David are in. Our customer base is very, very different. Uh, and so from my perspective, I think where, where the rates are, uh, I think is a good spot. I think you'll see them go down for the rest of this year. And I think as long as we can keep inflation under control and unemployment doesn't run away, I think we'll be fine. Austin Goolsby was on Squawk Box earlier today, talked about a, quote, golden path. 
on inflation and, and employment. Um, do you think the Fed's done a, a good job through all of this? I think they have. I mean, you know, some people might say they were a little late to the game early on, but I think that um, the moves that they've made over the last, uh, you know, six to nine months have been good. You worry about the Fed staying too tight for too long? I mean, there is an expectation, obviously, you mentioned it, the rate cuts are going to come. It's just a matter of when, uh, not if. But there is that risk of a policy mistake. How do you think about it? Yeah, and I think, you know, the issue is, look, and I'm, you know, I'm 65 years old, and I don't, I remember when we actually had interest rates, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the issue is, uh, is zero rate environment, 1% rate environment, that's, you know, that, that wasn't normal. It just happened to be normal for what people got used to for the last few years. So I don't, I don't, think, uh, I don't think the Fed's going to make, make a mistake. I think they'll be cautious, um, and I think they will not bring rates down too quickly. Um, and, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Sound like you are firmly in the soft landing camp, if you had to make a call today? Yeah, I'm in the soft landing camp. And, I mean, look, the reality is recessions do happen. Uh, and the nice part about recessions is there's always a recovery. And, you know, for us, we've been around 174 years. We'll get through recessions. We'll get through whatever we need to get through. And part of that is because of our customer base and our colleagues that are supporting our customers. We appreciate you having us out here. Uh, it's a gorgeous setting, and you'll be on the golf course in a little bit as well. I will be, and enjoy your day as well. You guys have a great Take tournament. Care. Thanks, Stephen Square. Thanks, Thank Scott. you so Take much, care. Stephen, Bye. of course, the chairman and CEO of American Express, the host out here. By the way, you can catch live coverage of the American Express today, tomorrow, and Sunday on Golf Channel and Peacock. Starts 4 o'clock Eastern time. All right, let's get the headlines now with Silvana Hanau. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Scott, how are you? All right, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has been called to testify before Congress about his failure to notify the White House of his hospitalization. The Pentagon confirmed with NBC News today that the House Armed Services Committee sent a letter requesting to Austin to appear on February 14th for a hearing. The hearing will focus on how the Defense Department waited three days to tell the White House Austin was in the ICU for complications from prostate cancer earlier this month. Prince Harry dropped his libel lawsuit against the publisher of the Daily Mail after a judge's ruling cast a doubt on the case today. It comes a day after the prince was to turn in documents in the case against the publisher's associated newspapers. He is now on the hook to pay for the publisher's legal fees. And as a cold snap gripped most of the country this week, first responders enlisted the help of a dog to help save her owner who had fallen through ice yesterday. The 65-year-old man's dog, Ruby, took a rope to her owner so the Michigan State Police could pull him out. The victim was taken to a hospital and was released soon after, Scott. Dogs are the best. All right, Silvana, thanks so much. Silvana yeah. now coming up. Much more from the Amex PGA Tour event. NBA legend turned executive Danny Ainge. He joins us live next, just after this break. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. 
We're back at the American Express in La Quinta, joined now by former NBA All-Star turned executive Danny Ainge. Danny won two rings as a player with the Boston Celtics, another as a top team executive there. He's now CEO of the Utah Jazz with me live ahead of his round. Thanks for being here with us. Great being here. You've done so many amazing things. Now, you know, on the court, you've had two lives in the NBA, really. What's the key, do you think, to building a successful franchise? Because you've done it at the highest levels. You know, I think it's just good communication with management, coaching, players, um, and ownership, obviously. And I think that building a team is hard. And uh, there's a lot of great experience to draw from. And uh, it, it's very hard. It's very hard because not only are you trying to find the best players, but you're trying to find the players that are most compatible. You're a risk taker, aren't you? That's how sort of people <laughs> talk about you. I mean, you're with the Celtics. You have the number one pick. Who trades their number one pick and moves, moves back and you get Jason Tatum? And then the next year you get, you get Jalen Brown. Do you, you consider yourself a risk taker? I would say I'm a risk taker. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just too old to worry about that. You know, I'm not worried about being fired. And but I love the guys I work with. Uh, I feel like in management, it's not different than as a player. You got to be afraid. You can't be afraid to take some shots. Yeah, I guess the key. Look, you got to have great players, obviously, and you have you had them in Boston. You have them with the Utah Jazz, where you now are, are the CEO. But it's the other pieces that build a championship contender. Are you into analytics? I mean, how do you go about all of the other things? We talk a lot about the magnificent seven stocks: the apples, the Meta. The others are the ones, in some respects, that make the market the market. You know, I think you're right. I think there are the others, and I think that. Uh, we do pay a lot of attention to analytics. We have a huge analytics staff and a new one this year in Utah. So I think that we're trying to get to know each other. But yeah, I think all those things are important. I think your your instincts, your your uh, your history with the game, um, and the experience. We have a lot to draw on. I know, I know you probably wish you were playing now, given where salaries have gone since <laughs> the day, the days of the '80s with you, Bird, and, and company out there. But what do you make of this incredible and exponential growth in salaries? Jalen Brown, you know, five years, three hundred million dollars. No, I mean Jalen is a great player, and and it's just the way it's going. I think seven years ago, Mike Conley got 150 million dollars, and it was the biggest contract. And wow. it's just seven years later, it's doubled, and it's uh, hopefully it just continues. It just shows the success the NBA is having. You need a big range to do the job you do in terms of you can't just look in the U.S. anymore. You guys have Markinen in in Utah, great player, but you look at Jokic and some of these other guys. The the, the way the league is growing uh, internationally, speak to that and how you. You now have to have a very wide net. We do. We have uh, scouts all over the world, almost every basketball country throughout the world, in South America and all throughout Europe and Asia, um, and in, you know every region in the United States. So yeah, it's a worldwide sport, and we got to find them all. How is NIL? name, image, likeness, how does that change the way you do your job? You have to look at college players differently, or perhaps they look at you differently. They say, I'm, I'm making a lot of money here in college. Maybe I'm going to stay a little bit longer if I don't like the situation that I might be in in the NBA. Yeah, I think we're seeing a little bit of that. There's some guys that are you know, debating whether to come in. There might be second round draft picks that might want to stay in college because they are getting paid. Um, yeah, listen, it's it's the wild, wild west right now. I'm not sure how that's all working out. I, I, there's a lot of things I like about it. I like the fact the players are getting compensated. Um, and then at the same time, it's complicated because I don't know where the, what the rules are. You see uh, so much complication out there in the recruiting uh, world of college, all college sports. You you obviously, you know, a CEO running the, the on-court stuff, but you also, I'm sure, have to have an eye on what's happening in the periphery around how you, you know, distribute the content that you have. 
you know, Ryan, the, the owner of the Utah Jazz, was with me earlier today, and, and he's been called a revolutionary in the way he's approached media rights and, and advertising. H how do you think about the way your product, which you're partly now responsible for, is packaged and presented to viewers? Oh, I think it's getting better and better. I mean, Ryan is a tremendous owner. Um, he's got so much energy and ambition. His wife, Ashley, and him feel great responsibility or, you know, and stewardship over the Utah Jazz franchise. But yeah, I think we'll, we'll have three or four times more people watching uh, with some of his creative ideas in, in the media rights business. And uh, he takes great care of his employees. He wants every player that comes in to have a wonderful experience in the state of Utah and with the Utah Jazz. Yeah, you have any time to do any investing? Outside of, outside of uh, the players that you're picking? Um, I do a little bit, yeah, a little bit, yeah. I'm looking, maybe looking for some American Express stock after seeing Steve earlier. All right, there you go. You're talking <laughs> a good game. Danny, thanks so much. All it's right, a pleasure visiting you. with you. Enjoy the golf. Thanks, uh, We enjoyed visiting with you. That's Danny Ainge. Don't miss live coverage of the American Express this weekend on Golf Channel and Peacock. Coming up, back to the Investment Committee because we have more moves to tell you about. We'll do them next. We're going to have an all-time high uh, closing one on the S&P if we keep this up today because we are above the S&P's all-time closing high at these levels here, 48.10. The old one is 47.96. Now we have to look at the all-time intraday high, that 48.18 back in January of 2022. So we're going to keep our eyes on the markets here as we go through the final stretch of, of halftime. We do want to talk about some committee moves. Surat, you've made a new one. You bought SLB. I did. Um, great earnings call. If you look at the demand, long-tailed projects. And that's what I really like. They cut down their debt down $4 billion. They're buying back shares. They increased their dividend. And I think with oil where it is, there's only upside here because if oil goes up, they're going to make a lot more money. And if their customers are using them so much, and the other part, the option value you have is digital services. So I like the stock. I think if you're going to play energy, this is one of the key players in it. I love that we have ownership here. Stephanie Link, you own SLB. Yeah, it's a huge position for me. Uh, great quarter. Uh, they beat earnings. They beat EBITDA. Digital, which is 13% of their total revenues, actually grew uh, 60% from 2021. It's now a $2 billion plus business. They had two times the free cash flow that was expected in the quarter. They paid down debt, they increased their dividend. Stock trades at 14 times. It's been a miserable performer in the last year. I really like it for 2024. Joe, SLB as well. You own it too. Yes, we do. And um, I'm just waiting for someone to come on the network and just talk overwhelmingly bearish about energy and crude oil and energy equities, and then I'd feel so much better about being overweight energy equities because it just doesn't seem to be working. SLB is a great company. Surratt's right. Stephanie's right. Balance sheet's great. They need higher oil prices. Hopefully the performance comes through and maybe someone will come on and talk bearishly and help out the bulls. I want to jump ahead to Blackstone because Serata was downgraded today to neutral from buy over at City. It's you. You own that? I do. And I like it because it's a diversification, diversification play for me. If you're going to own the Mac 7 and if things actually do better elsewhere, Blackstone's in there. They're in credit. They got private equity. They got asset management. I, I think that's a place you got to play. And look, good dividend. And, and I think you have, a, again, option value on, on uh, the world getting better. Steph, let's talk Zoetis, okay? Piper Sandler, pretty bullish on it. Three reasons to buy it. Target 215, overweight rating, you own that. 
Yeah, it's not cheap. That's the only problem with it. But it's such a great story. And you know, I also own Alonco. So I'm a big animal health fan. The total addressable market is growing 20% CAGR between now and the end of the decade. So what is industry leader? They've got a huge innovation advantage, great pipeline, great different areas within animal health and dermatology and pain uh, and diagnostics, et cetera. So great, great CEO as well. So the only thing is it's not cheap, but you buy this one on dips whenever you can. Joe, I don't, I don't want to pile on, on on the back of these bad feelings you have about the energy trade, but Cummins today is yours. It was downgraded to an underperform at Bank of America. The price objective is how they call it, is 225 Yeah, you could throw United Rental in there as, as well. Uh, you know, both, both of these companies we have ownership with, we'll, I can't say very much more than we'll be reviewing it uh, as we come up on the end of the month and see what the rules will be applying, but Cummings is clearly in a, a position that we're not particularly comfortable with. Yeah, all right, I'll, well, let's end on a good note, okay? You, you want to talk Chipotle? Because it was named top 2024 ah, pick at the Target goes to 1000 bucks. There you go. See? I love it. Got to give a little. It. Brand momentum, management has done all the right things. The quality of the food continues to be phenomenal and this is a company that grows at 15 percent on an annualized basis with revenue um, perfect place to be i understand the valuation that people are citing at 50 times or 55 times where it currently is right now is a little bit rich but that premium in my view is warranted all right you heard from steven squarey earlier chairman and ceo of, of amex they do report a week from today. Many other companies are as well. And we, when, when we come back, we'll do your earnings playbook next. Welcome back to Halftime Live from the Amex Today in La Quinta, California. Earnings season kicking into high gear next week with a number of key names reporting, including United Airlines. Well, earlier today out here at the Amex, I did speak to Delta CEO Ed Bastian, said things are great. Listen. Well, demand is really strong. It's really strong. We've never seen a stronger demand set in our history. We closed uh, last week. We had our, our earnings and we had record revenues 20 percent above our pre-COVID, pre-pandemic levels. And this year in 24 is going to be another strong year. All right. So that's Ed Bastin with us a little bit earlier. Surat, you, you have United. Got to believe that you know, the CEO Kirby is going to be telling a, a similar story in terms of demand. But what about for the stock? I, I think what's going to be interesting is Delta had good earnings and the stock came down. It's come pretty much down almost every day. I think United's going to have to say the same thing if they want their stock to, to go up. But where you're going to be where investors don't believe it is that last half of the year. I think the earnings numbers, they will have to execute because at this point, the market's saying you're not going to make for Delta six dollars it's going to be lower. So it's a show me story. But everything is going right for the airlines. Oil's coming down, demand's up there. It's how are they going to manage their expenses because pilot costs are up, you know, mechanic costs are all up. So how can they increase margin and cash flow? And that's going to be the focus of this call at United. Joe, you want to just give me a quick take on, on AXP? Since we talk so much about it, we are obviously here at the Amex and they do report next Friday. Stock has not been a great performer uh, thus far this year. No, it, it, it hasn't, but it, but it hasn't really retreated significantly from what I felt was a very strong fourth quarter. Um, American Express, to me, is, is a quality company that you want to own in this exact type of environment. Uh, clearly, the affluent consumer 
is feeling far more optimistic, certainly when they see the value of their home and they also see the value of their holdings of assets, in particular in the equity market itself. So I think they're out there, they're, they're less reliant um, on the need to fund personal debt. They are benefiting from having strong savings, which are seeing a higher yield on those savings. And I think they're turning around and, and spending aggressively, and that's the American Express's benefit. Yeah, well, the stock's had a great run. It's up 23.5% over one year. You've heard uh, Mr. Squarey over time talk about strength from younger uh, consumers as well. The millennials who've done really um, have helped his company and the performance there, too. Up next, Mike Santoli. He's going to join us for his midday word. Got to talk to Mike today with stocks trading above an all-time closing high. We're back out here right after this. We are back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us with his midday word back at the New York Stock Exchange. Michael, we're about four points away now from a new all-time intraday high, firmly above an all-time closing high. What's driving this? You know, it's defense, honestly, Scott. And you, we have this market and have had one for a while where the most defensive areas, the ones that behave that way when there's a lot of, you know, uncertainty or, or rate pressure are also the biggest stocks and the ones that also have the most predictable growth story. So that's what we are mostly seeing. I think there's value in ending the suspense and just getting to a, a new high. Uh, you know, the, it's conspicuous the longer we go right in the, in the striking distance of an old high and don't get there. Also, real value and getting through this week with no real damage on the headline level it was supposed to be uh, kind of a friction-heavy week. We had the expirations and all the rest of it. So it's, it's all to the good. That said, below the surface, still really unimpressive breath. You're still seeing some consolidation underneath the indexes. I think that's okay. You can't declare that that's over. And I think we should finally recognize once you do finally get to a new record high after a long stretch below it, we're now more than two years below it, usually is not a major top. So you can take some comfort in that. Rates up, but we've deemed at least for a day that they're up for the right reason. Yeah, generally speaking, it's been a pretty solid uh, run of economic data in the last few days. Now, I think there's a little bit of Fed speak in there after Goolsby did have a tweak higher in yields, but it's still in the, in the range that we can live with for now, you know, under four and a quarter on, uh, on tens at this point. Looks like we're going to still have uh, a little bit of a, a live debate about, about March. But you know me, I don't think that was a make or break for the bull case for stocks. That's right. All right. We'll see you in a bit on Closing yeah. Bell. That's Mike Santoli. We'll do finals next. We are back and we're on the brink of history for the S&P 500, just about two points away now from a new all-time intraday high. So we're going to watch that closely, of course, over the final stretch today on Closing Bell. By the way, do not miss my exclusive interview with billionaire investor Wes Edens, founder and CEO as well of New Fortress Energy. We're going to talk natural gas, infrastructure, of course, the markets, and some NBA hoops as well. hope you'll join me then. All right, let's do some finals. Stephanie Link, what do you got for us? So IBM, I think the transition is well underway, where software and consulting is now 70 percent of their business. It's uh, recurring revenue is increasing. Margins are going higher. Look for the 10 billion free cash flow number guidance for this year okay. next week. when they. Yeah, earnings, earnings next week. Joe, quick. SMH. All right. And Surat, why don't you leave us something? Slumberjack. It's going to uh, just the tailwind's going to be great for me. All right. That's your new uh, buy SLB. All right. I'll see you on closing bell. We're on record watch. The exchange is now.
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.